Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the radio ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm talking with Bob DeWay, author of Critical Issues Commentary and teacher and theologian at Gospel of Grace Fellowship. Now, last week, we introduced Watchman Nee and kind of touched a little bit on his teachings and how that influenced your life. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more how this leads to a false system of sanctification. Now, CIC issue number 137 is true and false sanctification, believing the promises versus mystical processing of the soul. Today, we're going to show how the system from Watchman Nee is a false system of sanctification. I'm going to start with a quote from the article, and then we're going to define a few terms, and we'll show how this system just leads to confusion rather than sanctification. So the quote from article number 137 is this. In Jesus' prayer for the disciples recorded in John 17, he prays for their sanctification. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. The primary means of holiness is the word of God. We are made holy once for all when we believe the truth of the gospel. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified, Hebrews 10, 14. That's the end of the quote. So that definition of sanctification in theology, we would call positional sanctification. Is that correct? Yeah, we need to distinguish between legal or positional. We are, we have the imputed righteousness of Christ. We are considered holy. We are saints, okay, which means holy mm -hmm. ones. And we are sanctified in Christ by faith. But you know, uh, there's also the progressive sanctification, which I think most believers have heard about. And the Bible does right. address both. We've mentioned that, that we grow in grace and knowledge of God and we grow more into the image of Christ as he's carrying us along. But both the positional sanctification and the practical sanctification, we want to use that term, are grounded in the same thing, which is the finished work of Christ that he's done on our behalf. And it's received by faith through the gospel. And we grow as we believe the promises of God and God is at work changing our lives. And so what is our action in this progressive sanctification? How, what do we do to be further sanctified? We put ourselves under the means of grace by faith. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think we've mentioned that, but means of grace, Acts 242. Okay. And you have the word of God, uh, prayer, fellowship of the saints, uh, the Lord's supper and so on which reminds us of what God's done for us. Now, we're not promoting some magical substantiation version of the Lord's Supper, but the Lord's Supper is about what Christ did for us and his promises that he'll come again, receive us to himself, and that we will again have fellowship with him in the eternal kingdom. It's all part of the Lord's Supper. So 
One of the things we emphasize in sanctification is believe the promises of God and come to God on his terms and be part of the means of grace, which are received by grace through faith. That's right. And those means of grace, those are things that Christians generally love and desire to do anyways. We we love the word of God and we naturally cry out to God in prayer and we desire the fellowship of other believers. These things aren't a chore to do. They're a joy. Right. And so well, that's very important. And I think a lot of uh, pop evangelicalism undervalues that. Uh, I'm not sure what they're afraid of, but they're assuming many times that we begin by faith. Everybody would agree with that, I would hope, that we're saved by grace through faith. But then they assume we proceed on some other means, okay? And it's this other means that causes all the trouble. Jessica, if you think about it, so many of the CIC radio shows and podcasts and videos and everything else we do, we're talking about all the things that come along that are the added on stuff that causes all the problems. That's right. And that's exactly what we're dealing with here today. Yeah. And so we talked about Enneagram and Christian, quote unquote, Christian yoga and all that we've been dealing with. But now we want to talk about Watchman Nee. Okay, so just for those who maybe didn't hear last week's, if you can give us a brief recap of who Watchman Nee was, and then let's dive into this false system of sanctification. Okay, Watchman Nee was a Chinese Christian teacher from the early 20th century, and his material was uh, copied down and copious notes were taken by his followers. The only books he actually wrote directly were The Spiritual Man, Volume 1, 2, and 3. And we talked about that a little bit. But there are all these other material out there. And when I was a new Christian, I was reading Watchman Nee. And there was The Normal Christian Life. And there was many books. One I remember was The Latent Power of the Soul. So they were publishing books based on the notes of the disciples of Watchman Nee, and those are still out there now with the internet, they, they're being uh, sent all around, okay? And I got a hold of that as a new Christian in the early 70s, and I was reading this, and I so wanted to be a spiritual person, and so I tried to follow this. And what we pointed out before in our last session and what comes up in that article about true and false sanctification is Nee has this unique anatomical version of the Christian life. And it's divided into the body, soul, and spirit. And he has diagrams in that, uh, the first volume of his book, The Spiritual Man. And so the body has these different functions the soul is divided into mind, the will, and the emotions. And the spirit is divided into parts, uh, one of which is intuition. We talked, talked about that a little bit. And so his idea was that the reason Christians are not what they should be is that they're soulish. You'll hear that term soulish a lot when you're talking to Watchman Nee followers or you read any of his stuff. 
And he's claiming that the key to sanctification is to get rid of following the desires of the body and to get rid of the soulish aspect, which would be the mind, will, and emotions. That has to be laid aside. And one has to become truly spiritual by following the human spirit, which for the Christian is joined to the Holy Spirit. And so there is our source, and that's what we should be following. Okay, so one thing that was confusing to me when we were first talking about this is the difference between soul and spirit. I think we tend to use those words interchangeably as if they're synonyms, whereas Watchman Nee seems to be claiming the soul as part of the flesh, not so much as we would think of our spirit. So then you're saying soul is more of body and mind and then spirit is separate from soul? Well, he, he takes the tripartite uh, doctrine from 1 Thessalonians 5.23, quite literally, where it says, Now may the God of peace sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So his whole system depends on tripartite humans, body, soul, and spirit. But it's not entirely clear that Paul is actually distinguishing between the soul and the spirit in this verse. It sounds to me like Paul is just exhorting them and saying the whole man, the whole person, may the whole person be sanctified. Right. I think that part is clear that God's intent and Paul's prayer wish is for the whole person to be sanctified. But Nee makes a really big distinction between the soul and the spirit. Not only does he say there's a distinction, which is not entirely clear, but even if there is, normal persons, born-again Christians, don't have some inner capability of consciously knowing for sure, oh, my spirit is doing this, but my soul is doing this other thing. Right. We don't come. That sounds like very that. confusing. Well, it's, oh, it's totally, it's totally confusing. And as I said before, I spent five years trying to do this, and I took it very seriously. And as, as we mentioned before, I was in this Christian community where we had twenty-four hours a day to try to work these things out. And finally, I just gave up on it. And. Uh, but yet his entire sanctification system is grounded in this anatomical scheme that divides the soul from the spirit and claims that we need to follow our spirit and quit following our mind, will, and emotions. Okay, so how do we know if we're following our soul or our spirit? You know, I never figured that one out. He has all these claims about what's wrong with, with Christians. In fact, if you read enough me, which I did, and I just reread a bunch of it for this series we're doing, you can only come to one conclusion, and that is that it's hopeless. Because it creates a quandary and a confusion and dilemmas that are impossible to escape. And... I can illustrate that a number of different ways. 
from some of his material. But for now, let's just focus on this sanctification scheme, and then we'll get into some of the confusion, okay? So I would argue that God deals with us as a whole person. And that for now, sanctification is progressive, it's positional, we are sanctified, it's progressive, we are being sanctified, and that the perfection comes at the resurrection. Amen. Okay. And so the whole person is less than perfected. Whether you consider the whole person body, soul, and spirit, or you consider the whole person body and soul. And as we've mentioned before, the Old Testament sees the heart being the whole inner person. Right. Right, the heart. And so this carefully broke down anatomical bringing each part of this so-called tripartite man and breaking those each into three parts and then describing in detail how they interact with each other is beyond anybody's real capability of living out or practicing. It's really, really confusing. But we can get rid of that. Dear Saints, if you're not totally into this yet, stay out of it, run. You do not want Watchman Nee ruling your life. It is hopeless, and it will go on. If you spend decades doing it, it'll never work. You'll always be confused. Because the reality is, you don't know that your spirit's doing this, but your soul's doing that. You're not capable. I can't do that. (laughs) I wouldn't even know where to start. Nobody can. But Watchman Nee is so assertive in his writing that this is exactly the way it is. And the fact that you can't make the distinction and live out the distinction is proof that you're a carnal man. You're soulish. That's right. That's why you got problems. That's why you're not happy. That's why you don't have victory. That's why the demons are getting you. He has all of this stuff, including a demonology, all based on humans not having the necessary knowledge and understanding and application of what it really means to follow your spirit. Right. That's everything. I can say that with certainty, and I doubt any of these followers would even say that, well, I'm wrong that he made that claim. That's exactly his claim. Yep. Okay. Now, I tried to do it, as I said before, 24-7, living in a Christian commune, everybody there turned over their entire bank account, they sold their homes, they quit their jobs. People that were students in Bible college left and because Bible college was only feeding the soul and the soul is what our problems are and so on and so forth. Now, I'm not saying that the group we were in was totally following Watchman Nee. That was just one of the sources. There were many other ones. Uh, Charles Finney, I found out later when I got out, was behind some of this, this whole engineered revival and so on. 
and how horrible everything is if you're just a normal person. See, dear saints, what these teachers are going to tell you is if you are an ordinary Christian, you love God, you study your Bible, you're trying to understand what the Bible's telling you about how to live, you're praying to God, asking for grace to do the things the Bible tells you to do, they will convince you that you are unenlightened and there's something seriously wrong with your spirituality because you're soulish. Right. That's exactly what they To make sure this say. definition is clear, when Watchman Nee or some of these people are saying you're soulish, today we would call that a carnal Christian, which is really an oxymoron, but it, you hear that out there. These people are carnal Christians. What, what is a carnal Christian really? Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians, which was one of the key sections of the Bible that we misinterpreted when I was in that movement. Okay. The carnal Christian, they thought, was one who followed fleshly things or their own mind or their own abilities and so on. And a spiritual Christian was gaining intuitive spiritual knowledge directly from the Holy Spirit who's infused with the human spirit. But the carnal Christian, according to Paul, is really an oxymoron. Right. And what I failed to understand back in those days was that Paul was using irony. Yes. Now, I hope our listeners realize that if you take irony literally, you get a false idea. Right. You'll come away with the opposite meaning of what was intended. Yeah, you always get the opposite meaning. If you yep. go outside here in Minnesota in the middle of the winter and it's 15 below zero, but you just call somebody in Florida and say to your friends in Florida, Boy, sure hot here in Minnesota. <laughs> You're saying it ironically. Right. You don't really mean it because it's 15 below zero. Yeah. And that goes, that's just how the English language works or all language works. So what the false teachers did using Watchman Nee and other sources was they took a ironic statements that Paul made in Corinthians First and Second Corinthians, and decided to take them literally. And okay, so he well, said, you are carnal. that can create a mess. Yeah, so you are carnal, you're not spiritual. That was an ironic rebuke because the Corinthians were convinced that they had a higher order spirituality, and they thought Paul was carnal. Right. And they... <laughs> They laughed at his message of the cross and the crucified Jewish Messiah. They had a higher order and, and so on. And so that was an ironic rebuke. The carnal Christian is actually an unbeliever who thinks he's a Christian. Right. I'm going to show us some scripture here because I actually heard this one recently. So we're going to go to Galatians 5. 
And I'm going to read 19 through 26, because this is going to give us a contrast. The person I heard talking about these verses was saying the first group was the carnal Christian, and the second group was the more spiritual, more elite Christians. So let's listen to this and see if that actually makes any sense. Galatians 5, starting at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. There's the first group that are the carnal. So the carnal Christians are the murderers. They're murderers okay? and they won't inherit the kingdom, but they're Christians. Right. Oh, my God. Only the higher order Christians inherit the kingdom. Now, here's the second group of elite Christians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, so... I was stunned as I heard this, because how do you have a Christian who does not inherit the kingdom of God? But that's what this class system does. It breaks up the two. But, but reality is, the first group, those are unbelievers. They might think they're Christians because they raised their hand or said a prayer or went forward at an altar call or were baptized as an infant or because they've gone to church and their parents went to church and their grandparents went to church. There's all kinds of reasons people might be false converts, but they're not Christians. Right. And they're, the reason they're acting that way is because they're unsaved. Right. But watch when he would say they're soulish. Right. Well, the problem is, I mean, the, the problem is they're unsaved and the remedy is the preaching of the gospel, not some sort of introspective processing of the soul to determine if we're working through our soul or through our spirit. Right. Or some higher order experience. We've talked about that. I've, I've written articles about it. Yeah. Uh, that if you give mental assent to facts, then Jesus is your savior. But if you decide to be really dedicated, then you make Jesus your Lord. Right. Have you heard that The two-class system. Right. So the Lordship of Christ is optional. It's for higher order Christians. Wow. And so what we see here are actually believers and unbelievers. Right. Let me, Jessica, since we're dealing with it this way, and I haven't, I've got a whole bunch of quotes from me, but... We'll, we'll get to that eventually. Let's just stick with the Bible to start with. Okay. And convince people that there are these various classes of Christians. The soulish one versus the spiritual one is these classes. Right. That's how he described it. The soulish Christian, the spiritual Christian. The pop evangelicalism has the carnal Christian and the spiritual Christian. Okay. Yep. And so if you want to read about this, I wrote that article about pietism that just rejects all of this. 
Yes, that's all. You can find that at cicministry.org. Right. It's at issue 101, I think. Pietism. I, it's one of my favorite articles. Confession, yeah, mine I too. Call it Confessions of a Former Pietist. <laughs> but let me uh, go to another section where you run into the same issue, and that's in Romans 8. And it talks about the flesh and the spirit. So I'm going to read Romans 8. And I'm going to just start with verse 4, and we'll just kind of walk along here and see who this is about, okay? So All right. Romans 8, I'm going to start with verse 4. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, hold on just there. That's Romans 8, 4. At first okay. reading, somebody might look at that and say, See, there's two types of Christians, the ones who walk according to the flesh and the ones who walk according to the spirit. Now, Watchman Nee said the latter would be the ones who are following in their internal human spirit as joined to the Holy Spirit. Okay? Okay. The fleshly ones are following their soul, which includes your mind and your rational intellect and all of that. Now, let me read on Romans 8, 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Maybe I should just read some watchmen need to show you how this all works out. Okay. Okay. Let, let me just read knee. This is available on the internet. It's called the dangers of the soulish life. Watchman knee. Now, let me just, after a bunch of this stuff about the soulish life, he summarizes this. He calls it a summary. Knee, quote, we may summarize by saying that the tendency of the fallen soul is to set believers, notice he's talking about believers, to walking by their natural power, to serve God by their strength and according to their ideas, to covet physical sensation of knowing God or experiencing the Lord's presence and to understand the word of God by the power of their minds, unquote. So the problem with the soulish believer is to understand the word of God by the power of their minds. Is there any other way to understand the word of God? According to me, there is. Okay. I would not even know how to try and understand the Word of God through any other means other he than opening it and reading it and foolish. thinking about it and using my mind. Well, well, this is absurd as the emergent church, postmodern mysticism, all of this stuff we've talked about. They do the same thing. Remember, silence your mind so you can experience right. God. So you see... The, the carnal or soulish Christian is trying to understand the Word of God with their minds. Here's the problem. If you're going to read Watchman Nee's books, the only way you can evaluate what his claims are is to read them, and it goes into your mind where you process his ideas. Right. That's the only way we can think and understand anything. I know. And so he's really fighting against us even being ordinary humans. So I need my right. mind to understand me, and he tells me, if I use my mind to understand the Bible, I'm soulish. 
It's well, and I, as I was reading through this last night, I was thinking it's really an attack on the gospel too, because, okay, listen to this, is, this quote is from the same article, The Dangers of the Soulish Life, keeping in mind that soulish is fleshly, as right. he's using the words. Yep. And he says, the most prominent indication of being soulish is a mental search, acceptance, and propagation of the truth. So if I go I out and that. speak the truth... So and this, I'm going to add on myself search, of the gospel. I'm being soulish. Yeah. If you search out the truth, which we're commanded to do, you're being soulish. Yet and he's soulish making a truth bad. claim. That makes you a carnal Christian. Yeah. Well, by his own definition, that makes him a carnal, carnal Christian because he just made a propositional state, statement, a truth no, claim it's self, it's that absurd. doing that makes you soulish. Yeah, it's absurd in itself. Re refuting right it's it's absurd and will just totally confuse anybody trying to follow it but we're in romans well, so 8 so remember i quoted romans 8 5 for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh and what that means is orienting your life and your beliefs and the whole person away from the cross and the things of god Correct. Okay. Yeah. And even the implications of the cross are things that people see and know and understand by your mind, because it's the only way you can understand anything. It's the way God made us. We're creating his image. But let me read on. So there's me and others are saying they're soulish or carnal Christians. But Paul's talking about those walking according to the flesh. We want to find out. Right. Are those people Christians? Okay. Lesser Christians. Let's read on. That was verse 5. Verse 6, Romans 8. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So in these categories, well, if you follow your intuition and you, you're attuned to the spirit, then you get the life and peace. Otherwise, you get uh, death. Verse 7, Romans 8, 7. It, it gets worse. It's just like, Jessica, what you saw in Galatians. Look at verse 7, mm -hmm. Romans 8. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. Now, in these categories, the, the sukikos is the Greek, the, the soulish one, is captivated by this mind that's used to being in charge of everything. And you have to get away from that. You've got to get rid of it and start following the spirit if you don't want to be a carnal Christian. Okay. So the mind, using your mind to evaluate things, as you saw Jessica in his article, is the big problem. Right. All right, let's go on. We want to know if these are carnal Christians or not. Okay. Romans 8, 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So they may say, well, see, you're trying to please God, but you're failing because you're trying to do it with your mind. Okay. You're trying to, you're soulish. Your mind, your will, your emotions, which nieces are the faculties of the soul, are getting in the way and you're not really following your spirit 
because your spirit is joined to God. And so people in that movement, I notice word of faith people talk like this. Oh, my spirit says this. My spirit does that. Right. Have you heard that? I've heard that. Yeah. Okay. So that was verse eight. So now it's getting even worse. You can't even please God. So you better read more Watchman Nee books. <laughs> well, let's but read don't on. use your mind while you do it. Yeah, but I don't know what to do. Yeah, how am I going to read his book without my mind? I don't get that. Romans 8, 9. Let me read on. Okay. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, that's just the first part of the verse, let's, but let's stop right there. Now, Nee is claiming that many Christians are defeated Christians or demonized Christians or soulish Christians or carnal Christians because they don't know that they're following their soul and they haven't yet learned how to tap into the spirit part of them. The human spirit joined to the Holy Spirit. So they're defining that as a lack of technique, ability, knowledge, dedication to somehow this intuitive connection to the spirit. But it says here, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you. But he is saying correctly that the Holy Spirit indwells every Christian. So he's writing his book to fleshly Christians but Paul is saying you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit dwells in you. Right. So the indwelling spirit means you're not really fleshly, like they're claiming, like the claims. Now, let me read the rest of the verse. Okay. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, the spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit are synonymously parallel there. And so Paul says that if you're fleshly, you don't belong to God. Right. And so we go back again to the two categories are the unbelievers and the redeemed of God. Right. But he makes three categories. The unbelievers, the believers who are fleshly, and the spiritual believers. Wow. And That's we just don't God. find that in And it scripture. isn't just Washburn Nee's problem. It's, it's uh, this whole deeper life movement. It's the lordship thing where you have this total surrender. You right. haven't yet experienced total surrender. And there's even popular songs that come from that entire movement. I heard one song the other day at a baptism, and I, I don't think the guy singing it even realized it's a pietist song. I surrender all. That was their yeah. way. They sang that at altar calls so people could go experience total surrender and quit being carnal. Okay. This goes back in the 20th century pietism that American evangelicalism has been afflicted by. Now, yeah. it says, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. So, knee has all of this material to Christians say, the spirit, your spirit is joined to the spirit of God, but you don't know it because you're following your mind. And you've got to get rid of that. You've got to just be rid of soulishness. Let me close on this one. 
Okay. Here's something I did. I love uh, the technology to be able to search my Greek Bible and find every time a word is used. And there is a word for soulish. It's sukikos. It's an adjective that could be translated soulish. And he knows that and he uses it. But one of the places the word soulish is used is Jude 19, which is Jude 119. There's only one chapter. Now okay. let me quote Jude 19, where we find the word, word soulish. And the American Standard uh, says worldly minded. Let me, let me quote it. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded or soulish, devoid of the spirit, period. All right. Jude 19 says the soulish are devoid of the spirit. They don't have the spirit. Romans 8, 9 says that if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. And therefore, you must be in the flesh. Because if you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. Yeah. So, me is so using there's... soulish to describe inadequate Christians, whereas the Bible uses it to describe the lost. That's right. And, you know, the remedy, the remedy, as I was reading those verses, anyone who's out there listening right now, if I was, when I was reading those verses out of Galatians 5, if anything in you said, boy, I really think that first group applies to me, the answer is repentance. Turn from your sin, turn from whatever you're trusting in other than Jesus and put your trust fully in him. The, the answer is, to turn from those things, to go from that group to the group who are filled with the spirit is, is to hear the gospel and respond to it in repentance and faith. And at that point, we're given the Holy Spirit. We need to turn from our sin and turn to Christ. And that's the only way we're ever going to yeah. go from being fleshly to being spiritual. It's what God does in us. Right. And we're not claiming that all Christians have total victory all the time. No, but and we are these all these things in this first list. We're going to struggle with at some point. Yeah, but even if it's just God. at the desire level. Yeah, but we believe God, and we ask Him to give us victory, and we don't agree with living that way. Right. And, and God helps. Unbelievers us aren't worried about their sin. Unbelievers aren't worried about looking no, they don't like even, they they're don't being care. fleshly. But see, knee is convicting us of the sin of using our minds. Right. And, and that's not a sin. As a matter of fact, in Romans, it, uh, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right. But knee would say that's anatomical. You got to learn how to have your mind follow the spirit. Oh, it gets complicated. And we're going to talk more about that next week. So for Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramus and Bob DeWay. We want to remind all of you out there, as it says in Philippians 1.27, stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. Yeah. We'll talk more about this next week. <laughs>